have the words of eternal life. You have the words that bring freedom. You have the words that bring transformation. You have the words that bring change into my life, into my situation, into the situations that we face, God. Lord, we don't want to hear an echo, Lord. I don't want to hear my voice. I want to hear your voice, God. Penetrate me, God. It will penetrate my heart, Lord. It will penetrate my fears, Lord. It will penetrate my worries, Lord. It will penetrate the issues that are floating around in my head. And it would impact my heart this morning. Amen. And I would encourage you to keep in that, that kind of posture of kind of just pressing into God. A bit earlier on, Stephen was sharing, and um, I remember Joe was sharing about a month ago, just some stories of people coming to Jesus. And the four that went in my head then was I, I should shout out. But I thought, I know Joe might do it. My kids call it the Joe moment sometimes when she just yells out. And I was thinking, no, if Joe shouts, I'll shout. And, uh, and I didn't. I chickened out. But I felt God just challenged me in any area that we want to see breakthrough to kind of celebrate it. It's been mentioned already um, by Will. We've got um, Catch the Fire doing this conference this week. And one of the things I love about Catch the Fire is they know how to celebrate and I remember being in the conference, just hearing them share stories about people coming to Jesus and people getting healed, and they were just going wild. And I was thinking, you know, I was excited. I was like, that was good. But I remember God felt God saying to me that what you celebrate, you see increase. And in some ways, I should know that. I, 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 I do various different roles, but one thing I do do is teach on leadership and teams. And anybody who knows is in a leadership position that what you or even as a parent, what you celebrate, what you take notice of, what you draw attention to, increases. And in the same way, what we want as a church to see a growth and increase, it doesn't mean necessarily you have to shout out, but there has to be that kind of posture, that desire, that yearning and saying, God, I want to see more of this. We talk a lot in this church about wanting to see the kingdom of God come on earth. Um, I wasn't here last week, but I know Stephen was speaking um, about, I think, the lost son. I don't know one of the lost parables. But it doesn't really matter which parable you chose. In all those parables of the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep, that it says that there was celebration in heaven. There was a party when this person returned. Do we want heaven on earth here in Winchester Vineyard? When people get saved, they're celebrating. The angels are rejoicing. So let us grow. So I wanted just to explain. That was kind of where my, my, my pastor's hat on. I haven't started speaking yet, officially. <laughs> but I just wanted to just draw that, because I want to see us grow. I want to see us press into more. So we've been doing this series um, entitled, uh, Stories That Jesus Told. This is the last one. I think, I, don't, um, I think we've been doing them for like seven, eight weeks. Just going through different stories that Jesus told. We often call them parables. And looking at what we can learn from them and how we can apply them. In some ways, I'm going to miss this series. I've enjoyed doing this series. I've had an opportunity to do a few of them. In some ways, I'm not going to miss them. Because they've been hard. I mean, I kind of know a lot of these stories. These are some of the stories I tell my children, but when I've looked at them afresh, I look at them and think, man, they're radical. If I really outwork some of these stories in my life, they're they're life-transforming. I mean, just thinking about some of them, I I did one a few weeks ago, like ages ago, on persevering prayer. 
and just to keep pressing in to God. Um, Amy, or actually Amy's upstairs in new stuff. She did one about a month ago about uh, the kind of pearl of great price, the treasure, and this giving up everything to encounter God. I mean, even just using that one sentence summary of it, giving up everything. What does that mean for me? And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing the, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan and challenging myself and challenging each other what it means to step aside and not just to pass by issues, but to encounter them. And that this Good Samaritan, in relation to what he was doing to help people, he went the extra mile and asking those questions, what it looks like to go the extra mile. That's hard. That's difficult. Particularly when you've got a conscience, or otherwise my wife. It, uh, we were away last week, and again and again she'd say to me, Paul, are you going the extra mile? <laughs> okay, you know, we're just going to do all this stuff to kind of get ourselves set up, and it was really wearying and tiring, and she'd go, well, Paul, what does the extra mile look like? I feel like I'd be generous helping people out, trying to feed different people, and she'd go, what, was, what does the extra mile look like? It's hard. It's difficult. But it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. I gave this illustration a couple of weeks ago, and some of you wouldn't be here. But we had a game. Do you remember that? If you weren't here, we did. Um, Simon Says. Yeah, Simon Says, raise you know, your, your right hand. I always have to think, which is my right hand, which is my left hand. I said two weeks ago, people are a lot more enthusiastic. So. <laughs> Raise your right hand. Simon says, raise your right hand. You know, Simon says, raise your left hand. My, my, my daughter said, you didn't say, Simon says, take down your right hand. But, uh, and I said, this is what these powers are about. Yeah, my wife's there, good, praising God, keep carrying on. Oh yeah, you can put them down. Simon says, put your hands down. <laughs> they should be there the whole time. And, uh, and I said, this is what these powers are about. This is Jesus saying. And as followers of Jesus, we want to hear what Jesus is saying. So when Jesus says, put up your hand, you put up your hand. When Jesus says, put your hand down, put your hand down. When he says, step out, we step out. When he says, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. When he, whatever it looks like. And this is what these stories are all about. These are Jesus saying. And trying to keep in touch with them. Trying to respond as quickly as we can to his lifestyle. And so I'm going to look at a, a parable. It's called the parable of the wedding feast. It's in Luke 14. Verses 12 to 24. I'm going to read it. I couldn't fit it onto one slide. It's also found in Matthew 22, but I'm going to read it from Luke's account. The environment of this is that Jesus, with a whole load of people, is having a meal. Then in verse 12, it says, Jesus turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then all the resurrection of the righteousness, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. And then building on this, that's the context of this. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, 
Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I just bought a field. I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant, after the servant had done this, reported, there's still more room. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges, and he urged everyone to find, you find to come, so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited would get the even smallest taste of my banquet. So the context here is Jesus is at a meal, and um, they start discussing about who should get invited to meals. Sometimes we have that discussion in my household about who should get invited and who shouldn't get invited, but I wouldn't go down there. And um, he tells this parable of the wedding feast. We call it the parable of the wedding feast. It'd be called a lot of different things. And um, I was reading the book, the reason why I chose this parable, because there's so many parables there. So I'm indebted to this book. It's called, it's kind of a book you might want to buy. It's called Why God Calls Us to Dangerous Places. I'm sure it's um, high on your list. And uh, when I started reading this um, book and the way they interpreted this parable, it made me look at it and think, you can call it the parable of the wedding feast, or you can call it the parable of the invitation of Jesus to go into dangerous places. And as I share, hopefully it will make a little bit more sense. So we got this wedding feast. I kind of just found this kind of picture. Man, it looks quite impressive, doesn't it? Masses. I like that idea. And um, in the UK and in most of the countries where I've been, when you get invited to something and you can't make it, you know, they say, I'm sorry, you can't make it. We're going to miss you. But I came across an interesting um, phrase, because obviously in different languages, in different places, people say things in a different way. And in a language called Dari, which is probably the majority language they speak in Afghanistan, they don't say you were missed. They have this phrase, which means roughly the same thing, which is, your place has become empty. Your place has become empty. And I, I love that kind of phrase, that idea, that because somebody hasn't been able to make it to what they've been invited to, like a wedding place, the place has become empty. Because that person is absent, the place is empty. It doesn't just mean that a physical place seat is empty. What they mean by that is that that person, who they represent, their voice, their personality, their smile, their laughter, their presence, that sense of belonging, making the unit, making the community, is missing. Your place has become empty. And I like that phrase also because it gives me an insight into the father heart of God because it's the cry of the father's heart. He has a wedding feast. He sent out an invitation and he does not want the place to be empty. He wants the person and who they represent to be there. Right from the beginning of the Bible, right from Adam and Eve, the Father's heart is he doesn't want a place 
to be empty. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And his desire has always been to invite us to a wedding feast. If you flick all the way to the end, the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, it talks about this great wedding feast where people from every tongue and tribe and nation are there. God doesn't want any empty places. This is the context. This is kind of the backdrop of this parable. You know, it's prepared this great feast. If you've ever been um, married or been involved in helping anybody get married, you're aware of all the preparation that goes into kind of the, I think there's a special phrase for it, the breakfast, is it? And uh, for me, it's just like a nosh up, no. And um, a meal, and you're kind of thinking it through, and you're thinking through the seating arrangements. And um, we were quite fortunate when Katie and I got married. I'm not particularly aware of maybe one or two people that couldn't make it. But I could imagine the disappointment if you got everything ready. You got all the name tags just ready and the table plans set. And people didn't turn up. What heartbreak. What a sadness. What a pity. And I kind of picked that up from the father heart of God. You hear it in the story where this um, person has invited people and people start coming back with all sorts of excuses. The first person says he, he bought a field and must go and see it. That doesn't make sense in that context. Again, having lived in the Middle East, I'm aware of some of the aspects on that side. You don't just go buy a field and then go and see it. Before you buy a field, your livelihood depends on that field. You go and you check it out first. You have a look at it. You want to know what it's like. You ask questions. What's this land like when it rains? What's it like in the sunshine? Because your livelihood or yourself and your family depends on that field. You just don't do that. I was trying to think of what would be the equivalent in our Western standards. It might be something like the husband ringing up a wife and saying that he bought a house and he was just now going to go and have a look at it. I don't think that would go down too well. No, you'd gather information, you'd look at it. That was an empty excuse. Second excuse maybe seems a little bit more plausible. You know, most people know that if you get oxen, you've got to try to match them up. You don't want one going faster than the other or they just go around in circles. Not a good way of doing a field. But again, your livelihood depending on this. This wasn't just saying you would have tried it out first. You would have examined it first. It was just an excuse. And the last excuse was um, in some ways the most rude. It doesn't even apologize. And also in that context, it would be shameful. Because everyone would know that what he was saying was he had just gotten married and he now wanted to go and consummate the marriage. That kind of stuff will not be talked about in public. And so it's utter disgrace. And then it comes to the bit which I particularly want to focus in on today. Where he gets his servants and he says, go. Go and invite. Go off the beaten track. Go to those people that maybe you would not normally go to. Go to those people that maybe you would not normally invite. Because as you look at those lists, kind of crippled, blind, in our mentality, we look at that context and think, oh, just the people that maybe have had a, a harder life. Now, in those kind of contexts of the 
the Middle East and the Jewish culture at that time. These would be people, they believed in those times that, it, let's, for example, if you were blind, it was because you sinned or your parents sinned. And so there wasn't any sympathy. If you read the stories about blind people, they normally kept the distance. They wouldn't call out because people would hurl abuse at them. There was no sympathy for the blind person. There was no sympathy for the crippled person in those days because it was like, it's your fault you're like this. And so as you think about it, don't just think about, oh, it's just being nice, just going to the people that may be less off. These are going to people that would be regarded as the worst of the worst, the sinners out there. Those that you don't hang out with, those you don't want your children to mingle with. Those are real cost. And also by going out to the safety of where they were, you didn't generally just go wandering off down the byways and into the countryside. You're away from protection. You were going away from familiar places. You were going to dangerous places. Some might even say that you were being reckless. But that's the call. That's the invitation. What does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? Again, if you know me, I like to ask questions. And over the summer, I've kind of taken a bit more of a liberty and just created some space to ask some questions. I'm going to put some questions up. There's no way you get through all these questions, but I want to get you thinking. And uh, and I'm going to flip back in a minute. I'm going to give you some time in a minute. I'm going to come back to these uh, in a minute. The first thing I want to just um, share about this, I remember a few weeks ago I shared about the Good Samaritan and I I shared some, I guess, some challenging questions like these. And I kind of shared about how I wrestled with them and I will share them again. And, um, you know, a few people said to me, man, that that was hard. That was heavy. That was difficult. And, um... And I'm not trying, again, maybe I'm putting my pastor's hat on, I'm not trying to put a a burden on anybody. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. These are things that I'm wrestling with myself, but that's what scripture talks about. I think one of the key things that maybe makes a difference to me when I see questions like this is I think about who's asking me. Do I approach these questions, this is where my pastor's hat on, do I approach these questions as a child of God or as a Muslim would do? A slave of God. Do I see a loving father looking at me saying, I want to see you grow and develop? Who's, who's doing the asking? Who's doing the inviting? Because the, the, the way you see that and you perceive that affects the way that you respond to these questions. Also, if you think of these questions as a negative thing, it's not, it's not to do with a set of rules regulations it's an invitation it's an invitation from god to go on an adventure god's gone an adventure for us as we outwork these things it's going to cause us to go to the edge you know i said a bit earlier on who wants to see more people get healed who wants to see more people come to jesus it was a bit more quieter now I think last time I spoke, I kind of gave like a warning that we were going to go on a journey. But you find that on the edges. That's where you hear those stories. Hearing Stephen's stories, you go to the place that maybe people think, oh, I don't want to go there because they're going to do tarot card readings and they're going to have all that other stuff there. I don't want to go there. 
These are the stories that you find on the edges. And we've got to begin to look at that. We have got such potential as followers of Jesus. I could do a talk on this in itself, but I don't have time. But to follow Jesus involves going on a journey. It involves taking risks. Will was talking about Isabel Alem, and he just shared a little bit of story. If you read it on Facebook, he talked about that this was a crucial stage in his life where uh, he had a choice at that point in time to go to university. And then God spoke to him. God gave him that invitation to go on this adventure. And in some ways, you could look at it and go, well, that's not sensible. Get your degree underneath your belt and then go and do some stuff. God doesn't always work in that way. I heard somebody say this recently, a guy called Gerald Cooper. Since when has following Jesus had anything to do with comfort and safety? Have you ever read the Bible? That's, that's him. Because if you look through the Bible, it's God causing, calling people to do things which on the surface look reckless and crazy and dangerous. Are we willing to do this? What does it look like for us? And it can mean different things. Let me just share a little bit from my story, because these are things I'm trying to step into. I was challenged particularly about the call initially to a spiritual adventure. I found that particularly during spring of this year, I was just bored. I had gotten bored. Just licensed to go on. And I realized partly the reason it was, was I wasn't taking risks like I was doing before. And so I started taking some risks. I got, I'll show you a good story and I'll show you a bad story. Should we start with the good one or the bad one? Bad one, okay. I, I had a, a, my kid's bike had a flat tire. And so I thought, okay, I've got to go to Harford. And I felt like God say that my bike had a, my daughter's bike had a flat tire, but there was gonna, I was going to meet somebody there who was, who was flat. You're just going to feel heavy laden, just stuff that happened that kind of deflated them. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just reminding myself, I'm a child of God, I'm all powerful and almighty in Christ, in all these decorations I do to, to help me out. Because when I share this stuff, people think, oh, it's just the way you're wired. I'm not wired this way. I have to die again and again to do some of this stuff. And, uh, and sometimes I die well, and sometimes like this story, I didn't die well. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went and walked in, and my first thought was like, great, no other customers. Whew, thank you, God. But it's like, oh, it's free attendance. And then I must admit, I got distracted, Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, and they about finished the bike, and I was thinking, oh, I need to say this thing. Uh, which one's it for? C- can we lose one more? <laughs> one more disappeared. I was like, oh, one more. And I didn't do it. To my shame, I, uh, I didn't do it. I can afford to go back again. I didn't do it. There was a risk. There was a fear. When I talk about these things and ask these questions, these are things I'm wrestling with uh, myself. A good story. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you lots of bad stories. Uh, and um, we, 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 as a family, we were in Bournemouth uh, a few weeks ago, and we, we went to a cafe. And uh, I was particularly excited because I figured out there was a high possibility that this person might be an Arab from the Middle East. And if you know me, I love that. Uh, that makes my life a little bit easier. And God's kind of kind to me, takes me what I find easier and then stretches me into areas I don't find easier. And so we sat down at the table and we just prayed and said, God, you know what you're saying as a family. And one of my children said something about marriage and somebody said something about family. And so he came to our table and I said, you know, we knew his name was... Um, 
Rabbi, and I said, you know, Rabbi, um, we follow Jesus, and when we pray, we, we talk to God, and we ask him to speak back to us, which really would mess with a Muslim's mind, but hey. And, um, and so we said, we want to pray for you, because you're our, our, our waiter, you're our chef. And, um, and then I was just reminded of a bit of um, Arabic, and I said, uh, I said, does your name mean spring? He goes, yeah. So I said, you've been through a winter period of time. And God said, spring is coming. I said, you know, our family, we've been praying. And we felt something about marriage and family. And he goes, I've just been for a divorce. You know, my brothers are up in London, the rest of my family. And just tears whelmed up in our eyes. It was just touched by God. I mean, so much so that he was giving us free drinks. And in, the, <laughs> and in the end, I wanted to give him some, you know, I thought, right, I want to bless him. I want to give him double the tip. Just to show him the goodness of God. And he was like, I'm trying to give him this tip, and he's trying to give me chocolate. <laughs> and my kids are like, let's go back there again. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, I mean, that's a, a good story. But these are things that I'm, starting to, I'm trying to step into. You know, uh, dangerous places, being reckless. And I was thinking about that. I didn't know they were going to do the song this morning. I only discovered this morning the song Reckless Love. It's a great song. Do you like it? Yeah, we love it. It's a great song. But you know what? That song isn't just about what God does for us. It's as Simon says. This is what our love should look like for other people. We're meant to reflect our father. And so as I looked at that, man, you know, it's so easy to sing a song. Have you ever try to live some of the songs we sing? You know, things like it chases me down. I'm thinking, you know what? I give up with people so easily. A lot of this year I spent trying to chase people and thinking, you know what, I'm, that's it. Not, you know, I've sent them a text. So I've sent them an email. You know, how often do I have to keep chasing them? You know, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. How often do I think I'm not going to help them out because I don't think they deserve it? Is that, is that, just, is that, is that me? Am I just going like, to bury my soul here? <laughs> I mean, you're all saints. But I, you know, I, look at it, I look at things like there's no shadow you won't light up, no, no mountain you won't climb up. Do I kind of think, okay, I've, I've kind of climbed this hill for you, that's enough. There's no lie you won't tear down. Both Katie and I are dealing with a situation at the moment where just somebody we're dealing with, they've just got so many lies in their life. And sometimes I get weary of tearing down those lies. God, let me have that reckless love. So these are some of the ways I'm answering these, these questions for myself. And I haven't got much time, but I just want to give you like three or four minutes. Just break down into groups of two or three and just begin just to very quickly think about what, what does it mean? What does this look like for you? I want to give some traction to some of the songs we read and some of the uh, songs we sing and some of the stuff we read. I want to put some traction on it. What does it look like? Uh, if you're just going to visiting us and you kind of want to keep by yourself, just say that to the person next to you and just take this time just to hang out with God. So why don't you just take two or three minutes very quickly and um, begin just to brainstorm this amongst yourselves. Right, if I can just draw your attention back. It's always extremely risky. It's a dangerous thing to kind of <laughs> let you talk. 
It's, uh, I'm just aware of time, so I'm going to summarize. But I'd encourage you to go away. You know, you can borrow this slide. I know you can take a picture. But I'd encourage you to go away. And I don't just mean it when I speak, but when anybody speaks in this church, and we're sharing from the Bible, it's always an invitation. And I'd encourage you to always go away and, and think through, what does this mean? What does it look like? And these are the reasons why I ask these questions. And I tend to ask more questions than are ever feasible to do in a, in a talk. But that's because I want to you know, give you some material when you're yattering over your lunch or something. Or during the week, just to kind of be chewing this over. So that we're not just kind of people that talk about God's word, but that we do it. So to summarize... We can go up here. God calls us to dangerous places. And what I mean by dangerous places, I don't necessarily mean places like Afghanistan or Somalia or some of those places like that. If you, if you do feel like that's what God's saying to you, speak to me. Because uh, I love you. But um, it's to do with stepping out of a comfort zone. That's why I read those first few verses where inviting people, and he says, you know, go and invite people that are not naturally like you. Stepping out of your normal kind of comfort zone, whatever that may be. That is your dangerous area. Does that make sense? What is a dangerous place? God causes us to go to dangerous places because he loves the people who live in dangerous places. Let's not forget that. This is what all these questions are about. is hearing the Father's heart and responding to it. God causes us to dangerous places because he desires to show his love to those who live in dangerous places. Jesus never causes us to go to a place where he hasn't gone first. Isn't that encouraging? You know, I talk about dangerous places. The person who's done the most dangerous thing that would make going to work amongst the Taliban, I do have some friends who do that, like nothing, is what Jesus did. You ever realize what a dangerous journey it was for him to come to earth, to become a child? You know the mortality rate of a child in those days, let alone Romans trying to kill you? We're just following in his footsteps the distance he traveled. And lastly, Jesus has always been calling us to follow him on this great adventure. And I'm just going to conclude with this. Again, he said, Peace be upon you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. This parable is all about going, about being sent. And hopefully this morning I've done that again. Because I don't know about you, I forget. This great invitation to an adventure, and I forget it. I get caught up in life, rather than let God come into my life. And bring adventure back into it. To work with him. It's interesting he says peace. And I think sometimes we need to know that peace. And that call to step out. Your natural reaction maybe is fear. Maybe it is anxiety. Maybe it is like what's going to happen. What are those workers in half is going to think of this nutter? I need to hear that peace. Because when I have that. Then I'm willing to go. So to end, because I love asking questions. In light of what I learned today, what should my life look like now? It's a good question to have whenever you've gone to a conference, read a book, heard a talk. What should my life look like now? I often ask myself, how would one of my children, one of the people I interact with, know that I heard somebody speak on Sunday? How I spent that half an hour of my life. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand back over to, to Will. But I think that one of the things that God wants to do um, 
in relation to what we were saying about being a new season, is I, I kind of really feel like he wants to commission us afresh. Whatever role and activity that you do, be a student, be a housewife, and be it you work in, in business, be it you're retired, we're very busy, but as Edward was telling us, God is inviting us on this great journey of inviting people to encounter him. And I want a particular time, maybe you just feel like you need just to be released to do that again. And I want to just be able to release you to do that again. So I'm going to pray. Then um, worship band, I can see Michael at the back. I'm going to come up. God, you have this wedding feast. The great celebration of who you are and what you're about. And God, we get the honor, the privilege, the challenge of inviting people. I would have probably just blasted it from heaven, but God, you, you call us God. And I want to say again, yes. I know I've stepped back, God. And afresh, I want to say yes, Lord. And as a church, Lord, I want this to be a church, Lord, where we go and invite. And where we go off the beaten track, God. God, where we don't just sing about reckless love, Lord, but we demonstrate reckless love, God. Lord, where we're driven by that love, Lord, and not by fear, not by anxiety, but that your love, God, would compel us.